Last week, Pope Francis said that many Catholic marriages are null. I'm sad to say that I agree with him. I know what he means. I don't think anyone is saying that couples are lying when they make their promises, although some are. But if couples go to the altar not fully understanding what the marriage promises mean and what the vows mean, then in essence, they are making promises that they can't keep. In my experience, preparing couples for marriage and officiating marriages, I see this all the time. Even if a person says that they understand that marriage is forever, the disposable attitudes in our society are so prevalent that many still have it deep down that if something happens, they can leave the marriage, that nothing is forever. They also don't really understand what it is to give oneself totally to another person. Sadly, If you don't understand what you're promising, those promises are not valid. At the same time, there are many marriages that are not Catholic, but because the couple is committed, they understand the freedom, fidelity, fruitfulness, and totality of marriage, and they're in it for life, in a sense, the only thing that they are missing is that their vows were not witnessed or received by the church. Those marriages, and the church calls them natural marriages, those marriages are in some ways valid. God's sacraments are important and necessary, but God is not bound by his own sacraments. The Pope said that even cohabitating couples can receive the grace of real marriage. We need to prepare couples better for marriage, true. Maybe even start while they're in school. And we need to help those marriages that are outside of the church come into the church. And if they can't, they're still part of our church communities. And for those who are not in Catholic marriages but still go to Mass every Sunday, they're not able to receive communion, but they still participate in parish life, in some ways, they provide a great witness of faithfulness to the rest of us. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro, and welcome to another all-new Salt and Light Hour. Hi, Pedro. Hello, Emily. Emily Callan is here with me. And I have to tell you, Emily, I actually have been getting some mail. I've got some some people writing to me uh, via email and Facebook and, and some retweets. That's awesome. So, so I, we're very excited. So keep it up. I want to give a special shout-out to Estela Hernandez. She wrote to me from Denver City, Texas. So, Estela, thanks for writing. Uh, uh, you and your family and your friends are in our prayers. So thank you for writing, Estela. And you remember that the best way to reach me uh, is via Facebook and Twitter at Deacon Pedro GM. And Emily, you yes, can also... Yes, on people- Twitter as well. And yeah, Facebook. Twitter is at Emmy Callan, E-M-I-C-A-L-L-A-N. I almost forgot how to spell my last name. <laughs> yes, and Emily is like Emily, the French spelling E-M-I-L-L-A-N. I-E, yes. Emily But you Callan. just need the three first letters for my yes, Twitter for handle. for Emily Callan. Anyway, or you can find me on Twitter and then I'm, yeah. you, I'll, I'll direct you there. Um, and then also a reminder that if you're only able to listen to part of this program or if you didn't quite catch the name of our guests, people write, that's what people write. It's like, oh, I heard this program and who so was the and guest? So, yeah. Okay, right. it's really easy because all that information and all our shows, all the links to all our guests and artists, they're all, it's all online at our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio and every show we have ever done there's about 320 shows there on that they're archived there you can listen to all the stuff that we we've been doing there so all the shows are there you can listen to it and every show has a description and names and links to the guests and the artists so it's all there emily that's where you can go that's where i can go and (laughs) listen to the programs that we were doing before you were even here before i was even here 
Yes, I wonder if I would day. recognize voices. We should do a show with so Krista Matrenko, uh, Mary Rose Bacani, Michelle Newt, so all these people that all the alumni, all the, yeah, that have been How in the that would be would fun. That, be? that would be fun. Javier, our technical director, is nodding. He has been here with me he since the beginning. It's, it's been about seven years or something. Anyway, so um, as we approach the end of the season, I think it's also good to remind everybody that if you like this program, you can directly support the Salt and Light Hour by donating to Salt and Light. So you can go to saltandlighttv.org and find out how you can support us because without that support, this program is not possible. And every year we have to evaluate whether we can afford to continue or not. And we want to continue, yes, right? Especially now that Emily's I here. I want to continue. Emily wants to continue. <laughs> um, she's she's going to dethrone me. One day <laughs> you guys will tune in and it'll be hosted by Emily I Callan. I don't think it's going to be that easy, And I Pedro. won't be around. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think she would do a great job. So anyway, if you'd like to hear me or Emily or both of us, donate saltandlighttv.org and, and, and just you know, consider us when you're making your charitable contributions. All that information, as I said, is on the website. So today, today, Sister Marie Paul Curley is back. She's going to be uh, talking about films with the theme of mercy, which is makes awesome. sense. And then Sebastian Gomes will be speaking with, you don't, don't know who this person is, but so I won't put you on the spot, but the Minister of Foreign Affairs for the Vatican. Whoa. So the Vatican is a state, right? Yeah. It has a minist- Ministry of Foreign Affairs and okay. it's Archbishop Paul Gallagher. So oh, they're going to be talking... I mean- I've heard of him before. You've heard of him. So yes, Paul Archbishop Paul Gallagher. Um, they're going to be talking about, you know, foreign affairy stuff. And that's on <laughs> Connect 5 in about 20 minutes. And in the second half hour, we'll be speaking about Catholic fiction. Anyway, I think most people don't even know what Catholic fiction is. But we're going to be talking about Catholic fiction with the publisher of Chesterton Press. There's a little publisher. It's called Chesterton Press. And it's dedicated to publishing and distributing fun Catholic fiction that evangelizes the imagination. We're going to find out what that means. Um, uh, it's all about telling good stories. So if you're looking for good fiction, something light to read and fun that's Catholic, stick around for my conversation with Regina Doman. That'll be uh, in the second half hour. And then at the end of the program, we're reconnecting with Mikey Needleman. Um, We met Mikey about a year ago when he was on the program. He's a Mm -hmm. singer-songwriter, front man of the Mikey Needleman band. (laughs) So it's time to find out. pretty cool. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Aren't they? I, I love their stuff. Yeah. They're they're very good. It's very upbeat. Um, and so we're gonna find out what he's been up to. So why don't we begin with a song? Here's Mikey Needleman, the Mikey Needleman band, with "Look Around You" from their album "All for You." Look around you, and you'll find. I got your heart, you've got mine Everything else just ain't that bad Look around you and you'll see All you really need is me And only I can give you that When the world has got you down All you have to do is look you and you'll know cause I will show you where to go I will show you where to go Look around you and you'll know cause I will show you where to go I will show you where to go 
That was the Mikey Needleman Band with Look Around You from their album, All For You. And we're going to be speaking with Mikey Needleman at the end of the program. And in about 10 minutes, Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Um, she's going to be looking at films about mercy. Mm-hmm. But first, Emily is here. The Pope is in Armenia. Armenia. Yeah, so he left on Thursday. Yeah. He already had a, a full day. And uh, so it's going to end tomorrow on Sunday. Now, um, he was invited by the patriarch and Catholicos is how we named uh-huh. them, Karakin II uh-huh. and, uh, and the Armenian church. So John Paul II, after John Paul II, visited the country in 2001. So um, that was 15 years ago. And um, yeah, a lot of people, like they're really excited to see him. Like they just, they love the Pope. Um, and especially because um, he took a pretty strong st- dance on the Armenian massacre, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, killed nearly 1.5 million Armenians yes. in the early 20th century um, by uh, the Turkish Ottomans. Yes. And um, and he made, you know, this is something that came up in 2015 during a celebration uh, in Rome. So he called it the massacre a genocide, yes. which, yes. you know, angered actually um, all the Turkish all, people. Exactly. Right. Or at least Who, the government. Anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so so this is a pretty big deal for him to go because for the Armenians, it's really a sign that the Pope is, um, you know, showing solidarity and, sh- you know, that um, that he's recognizing their history. Yes. So um, so he's already met with the Catholicos Karakin and the yes. president of Armenia and the diplomatic corps. And uh, today um, he's visiting the Apostolic Cathedral and at 12 noon. You can watch this on Salt and Light. So, yes. um, so at noon he's visiting the Apostolic Cathedral. He's also going to be celebrating Mass. And tomorrow there's going to be a really cool event. There's going to be an ecumenical prayer event for peace with religious leaders. Nice. Um, in Armenia again at noon. So you can check out these events on our network and uh, they're listed on our schedule at saltandlighttv.org. Yes. So if you don't want to miss that. Good, yeah, that's great. So remember, yeah. you don't have to have be in our on our on our uh, broadcasting area to watch what we're doing because you can watch it online. Right. Saltandlighttv.org. Yes. Good. And uh, we also celebrated an anniversary yeah, last week. Yeah, one year anniversary since yes. anniversary yes. since the publication of Laudato Si, which was like a huge encyclical that yes. the Pope published last year. And so to commemorate the occasion, the Vatican launched a new website www.laudatosi.va pretty yes. easy to remember yes. and uh yeah and so in the pontifical council for justice and peace is the one who um is behind this they held a conference in rome in order to, to commemorate the event as well um yeah and i mean us as well here at salt yes. night there's a lot of things that we can check out in order to not just remember but also to to keep up and to to you know yeah. be more knowledgeable about what's going on absolutely yeah um, we, we uh i mean uh, we've talked about in the show as well the, yeah. the the six part series creation yes it's all about the church teachings on the environment and in fact on our page saltandlighttv.org slash creation there are even more resources I'd like to think that this is actually the best archival of Catholic resources yeah. on, on the environment so that's at saltandlighttv.org slash creation and the Laudato Si website is part yes. of one of those resources. So it's all there. Um, so something cool to do too with like your family or, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. And lots of videos yes. and, 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 and other stuff there as well. Um, 
Next. Death penalty, yeah. Yeah, so this is something that the Pope has talked about a lot before, and, and even in anticipation of this event. So the World Congress Against the Death Penalty happened between June 21st and June 23rd, this past week in Oslo, in Norway. Yeah. And about 1,300 people from 80 different countries participated. And the Pope sent a video message. You know, he's saying that killing is an offense to the inviolability of mm-hmm. life and to the dignity of the human person. And then he continues, it does not render justice to victims, but instead fosters vengeance. And he he called for more advanced forms of respect for life and dignity of of people. So better living conditions for prisoners, uh, rehabilitation of convicts and their reintegration into society. So just a quick a quick nod from the Pope at this uh, at this Congress. Absolutely. And I I always think that these two topics are related, but I guess they're not because death penalty and human trafficking don't really have anything in common, I guess, but I guess because there are both affronts to well, human life. human life and the dignity of the person, right? Yes. Which, again, in, in Brazil, so as we know, the Olympics are coming this yes. summer, which is a really exciting event. And sometimes we do forget, though, that when while it these events are, are crazy and beautiful and, and you yes. know, the whole world comes together, but there are also behind the scenes, you know, things that happen because it's just an opportunity for more tourists to come yes. and, and for, um, so in this case here, for trafficking to happen and exploitation. Yes. So there's... Uh, a network of Brazilian sisters and brothers um, who launched this campaign. It's not the first time that they launched this campaign. Uh, it's called Play for Life. And um, they're basically just trying to wa- raise awareness of the risk of, um, of exploitation exploitation of trafficking and how to recognize the signs okay. when you're out in public spaces and on right. the street when people are you know giving out leaflets and stuff like that and mm-hmm. um yeah just just wanting to to raise awareness for that and i think last time they did a campaign like this was for the world cup in 2014 yes. which again was in in rio and um and this this campaign contributed to a 42 percent increase in the number of complaints of sexual exploitation of children and adolescents interesting so, so that's great it actually helped good actually so thank you sisters for raising awareness play for life thank you emily emily is one of our french language producers she's also quickly becoming the new host or (laughs) co-host of this program one thing Um, at a time pedro (laughs) (laughs) you can stay informed of what's happening uh, all these stories and what's happening in the catholic world uh, by going to our website saltandlighttv.org and also on our roku channel hey everybody it's marie miller and you're listening to the salt and light hour with deacon pedro My name is Deacon Pedro. If you like this program, please support us financially by becoming a monthly donor through our Guardians program. That will ensure that you can continue to listen to the Salt and Light Hour every week. Find out more at saltandlighttv.org. And now it's time for... Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister, welcome back to the program. Oh, thank you so much, Deacon Pedro. I'm real excited about this program. Yes, so am I, because you're talking about films about mercy. Uh, How come we didn't do this show before? (laughs) Well, you know, that's a good question. I actually was going to work on coming up with my own list, but then... I found this fantastic list okay. online, and I thought I got to share it with everybody. Okay, so, good, yeah, sure. <laughs> so it's the list is actually on Image Journal's website. Uh, Image Journal is a wonderful magazine that looks at the intersection between art and faith. Okay. And every year they publish an online list having to do with a certain theme. This year, in honor of the Year of Mercy, they focused on the theme of mercy with their list, and it's called the Arts and Faith Top Twenty Five Films on Mercy. And I'll put up a link on my blog post. But 
I was delighted to find out that I'd only seen about half of the films. Okay. So I have new things to watch, <laughs> which is great. 25 uh, new things to watch. <laughs> That's a lot of films. Well, about yeah. 13. Yeah, <laughs> so okay. I'm good. Uh, the films range from 1921 to 2014. And I wanted to highlight the top three films because they're just, they're real classics. Right. And they're fantastic. They are, just a, a heads up, they are from the black and white era. Yeah. Two of them are in French with English subtitles, but please don't let that prevent you from seeing them. Okay. And uh, these films are, uh, you know, they're deeper films, so I'm not sure they'd work for younger children, but uh, mature teens, definitely any adults or lovers of film will get a lot out of yeah, these movies. Yeah, good. All right. Okay, good. So number so, three? Number three is the award-winning 1951 Diary of a Country Priest, oh, yeah. okay. which is yeah. based on the famous French novel with the same name. The screenplay is adapted by the film's director, the legendary Robert Bresson, uh-huh. and is incredibly faithful to the novel. Uh, it's in French, of course, with the English subtitles, and it stars Claude Ledoux, which who gave such a fantastic performance. He was really recognized. It was like his first film debut, and it was amazing. It's the story, for those who haven't read the novel, of the daily life of a young, sensitive priest on his first uh, parish, his, his first assignment as pastor. And it's his reflections on his experience. He's very distressed by the callousness of his parishioners and their materialistic or non-virtuous uh, mindset. So he seeks to help them spiritually, of course, in his role as pastor, but he's consistently misunderstood and criticized by pretty much everyone in the film. The only people who start to understand him is we, the viewers, mm-hmm. uh, because we're given access to his daily diary. And I, I have to say, all the characters are well be portrayed. You know, their resistance to, to his efforts to reach out to them. I, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but no. this film is about those little moments of life, those daily choices for grace. Um, the one caveat for this film is don't watch it if you're in a hurry because oh. it, it's got its own pace and it's understated and subtle and the dialogue has layers upon layers. So the pacing of the film, I think, actually helps us to slow down and take in the mindset of the parishioners, but especially of this priest whose goal is really to bring people closer to peace and happiness in Christ. Okay. It's also it's like a case study for how to be pastoral to people who are resistant to grace. It's, Interesting. Really and it, powerful, and, and it, you said it's an Academy. It was nominated or awarded. It had it won, film, right? I think, Venice Film Festival's award. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it won the foreign flick yeah. um, Oscar for that year. Yeah. It was this one, um, but it is. It my favorite line of the film is really the last line of the dialogue, which is uh, the priest says, "All is grace." Yeah, is, beautiful. Yes, very, that's true. Anyway, yeah. highly recommended film, Diary of a Country Priest. Okay, good. Yes. So number excellent. Number, number two. two. The Oxbow Incident is okay. a, a 1943 American Western, and it's directed by William Wellman. It stars Henry Fonda and Dana Andrews, uh-huh. and it's been described as Western film noir, but I found it reminded me more of a gentle Flannery O'Connor novel. Uh, it's, uh, and I'll explain a little bit. The storyline is really basic. Two cowboys are passing through a Western town when the news comes that a, a farmer nearby has been murdered. He's this well-respected farmer, and his cattle has been stolen. So the townspeople get all up at arms. They form a posse to catch, and they set out to lynch the guilty parties. 
the two cowboys, the drifters, join in partly because they don't want to be suspected themselves yeah. um, of the murder. And the film explores these, uh, you know, and it goes from there. The film explores themes of justice, guilt, innocence, the legal system, conscience. And actually, just this week, Pope Francis recorded a video message about the death penalty. Yes. And the points that he makes are in this film. He talks about, you know, the death penalty has got nothing to do with just punishment, and it, it's more about revenge. It's, it's just, anyway, it's a great, great film. It's really interesting uh, in its take on mercy. I mean, there's definitely occasions where there's a refusal to offer mercy, but there are many other moments where mercy is op- offered. And uh, this was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture, but it lost to Casablanca, which is also one of my favorite films. Uh, But I would say this movie is definitely Oscar-worthy as well. Okay, so good. So The Oxbow Incident. That's good. I haven't seen it, so I'm going to have to go look for it. Um, And number one. Number one is Monsieur Vincent. Uh, It's a wonderfully crafted French film that was given a special Academy Award when it came out. Um, I gave it honorable mention in my list of best saint movies Uh uh, when I did that list a a year or two ago. It was made in 1947. It's directed by Maurice Cloche, and it's a biopic of St. Vincent de Paul. You know, biopics are so hard to make. So it doesn't cover his whole life, but it does really focus on his efforts to begin and expand his care of people living in great poverty, especially focusing in the film on people who are suffering from the plague and, and, and prisoners. So for me, St. Vincent de Paul could definitely be called the saint of mercy. Uh-huh. Uh, he exercised great mercy in a time when mercy was lacking. The performance of the actor, Pierre Frenet, is extremely powerful. Um, he's compelling, he's fascinating, he's admirable, but he is a bit hard to understand because in the film he has no concern at all for himself, and which is greatly admirable, but it was hard for me initially to find an entrance point to connect with Vincent, uh, yeah, apart from admiring him. Yeah. But I, it's, it's such a powerful film. He's a shining figure, um, but not, he's not put on a pedestal. He's just so compelling. I, I will say this film lacks the sentimentality that usually ruins Saint movies. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's really well well done. Uh, Vincent really seems to become in the film the love of Christ. It's very very powerful. So uh, all three are really great films to watch. So my summer is going to be busy catching up on the rest of this. <laughs> okay, very good. Yeah. So and the rest of us at least have three films to watch: The so Diary of a Country Priest, The Oxbow Incident, and Monsieur Vincent or Vincent. Thank you. That's great. Always oh, giving I us love- something to do over the summer. Yeah, well, you know, you have to see some good movies over the summer. Absolutely, for those rainy days, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. Thank you very much, Sister Marie Paul. Have a great summer, and uh, God willing, we'll see you in the fall. That would be great. You'll all be in my prayers. Thank you. Sister Marie Paul is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you can read her blog at windowstothesoul.wordpress.com and also follow her at Sister M. Paul. Hi, this is Matt Marr. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. How are you going to spend the next five minutes of your time? How about listening in, meeting a fascinating person, and learning something relevant that will broaden your perspective? Sit down with Sebastian Gomes and go straight to the heart of the matter. Here's Connect 5. Today, Sebastian speaks with Archbishop Paul Gallagher, the Secretary for Relations with the States for the Vatican. They speak about papal diplomacy, especially in an era of 
global connectivity and crisis. When you think about the work that you do, what is the primary goal of the diplomatic efforts of the Vatican and its relation with other states? We, we really do sort of uh, two things. Any, any diplomatic service is principally at the, at the service of, of, sort of, of the government. So a large part of our work is trying to understand what is happening socially and politically in the world, to be able to inform principally the Holy Father, but other actors within, within the uh, Curia here in Rome and, and throughout the world, and to understand in order to be able to determine what is the most appropriate uh, response on behalf of the Church, on behalf of the Pope, uh, to situations, sometimes emergencies, sometimes crises, but also responses which are coherent with the Gospel and our Catholic faith. I think the great advantage we have is that we're not pursuing a national interest. Every government and every national diplomatic service has to pursue their national interest. We, uh, I think, uh, quite credibly do pursue, pursue ultimately the common good. Common good huma humanity, common good also of, of, of people, men and, and women of faith around the world. I'm interested, how do other states or other heads of state perceive the role of the Vatican diplomatically? It tends to differ from uh, what tradition you're coming from. Um, there are some uh, uh, states and their leaders who would very much focus on the, the word you just used, the Vatican, seeing it as, a, as this mini-state uh, which is headed by the Pope. Um, others, and this is the position that uh, we obviously encourage, is to see diplomatic uh, engagement with the Holy See, with the Holy Father as the governance of, of, the, of the worldwide Catholic Church and the Catholic family. Um, and to, to have a more uh, global view of the outreach of, of, of the Holy See. Pope Francis is obviously a unique figure in the world stage today. He has an incredible moral authority. Uh, people are listening to him in, in a way that, that perhaps wasn't uh, as evident in the past. Um, what do you see as, as his unique contribution to the, uh, the, the diplomatic efforts of the Holy See and the Catholic Church in the world today? I think what people who listen to the Holy Father immediately perceive is his great interior freedom uh, and his, his courage to be able to face uh, up to issues within the church and outside of the church. And they perceive that he has uh, personally, um, in, one, in one sense, almost nothing uh, to gain. He, he gives himself uh, to, to these situations in order to make a, a, a contribution, to, to, to be of assistance in, in situations of difficulty. Um, and I think that that is, that is why people are prepared to listen to him with a particular attention. It's uh, obviously very easy to be uh, frustrated or overwhelmed or overcome by many of the, the challenges facing the world today. Uh, what gives you hope for the future? Because I feel like the work that, that you're involved in and some of the things that, that you might see, the efforts that you're involved in, would, uh, would be very uh, heavy sometimes to, to, to work it through. Well, you're right. We're going through a very particular moment in uh, the history of the world, the history of humanity. Uh, there are many reasons uh, to be concerned, even to be anxious. I think one of the things that the Holy See, uh, as a diplomatic inst inst institution, 
you know, can teach us and can teach the world is we've been here before. That the, the, you know, there are so many things in the history of the church and of the Holy See which are situations of, of, of great difficulty. Um, and yet we've gone through it with faith and with, with optimism. And I, I think that that is also uh, something that the Holy Father brings to these situations. It is serious, but with faith and with energy, with commitment and with sacrifice, we can move forward uh, to solutions and we can move forward to uh, resolving these things, which are um, profoundly threatening to, to our world today. That was Sebastian Gomes speaking with Archbishop Paul Gallagher, Secretary for Relations with States for the Holy See. You can watch this and more interviews at saltandlighttv.org slash connect5 and also on our Roku channel. Coming up in our second half hour, Catholic Fiction and a featured chat with Mikey Needleman. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. At first I thought that if I asked you to name some Catholic fiction, you'd come up blank. But perhaps many of you would mention Lord of the Rings, but I don't know if you could come up with anything else. In fact, I'm sure that some of you would ask what Catholic fiction is anyway, and I wonder that too. Is it fiction written by Catholics? Is it fiction that has some Catholic themes, like Dan Brown's novels? Or is it fiction that is written with a specific purpose to evangelize? Well, to help us answer all these questions and more, and to help point us to some great, inspiring, and good stories for all ages. I'm joined by Regina Doman, publisher of Chesterton Press. Regina, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Oh my gosh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, so good to finally connect with you. Um, I've been following your work for for many years. Um, Your website says, so the description of Chesterton Press is fiction that evangelizes the imagination. Yes. What does that mean? How do you evangelize my imagination? Well, the imagination is very powerful. I mean, we tend to think about evangelizing people's reason or evangelizing people's hearts. Yeah. But the imagination is also very powerful in Uh how the human person functions. Uh, The imagination is not so much like what we know, but how we think about what we know. And that can be everything when it comes to fiction. Um, You know, we might know the truth of the Catholic faith, but we might have negative images in our heads, we might have negative feelings attached to that, uh-huh. or we might just have a blank. You know, there's some parts of our Catholic faith that are not really connected, like we can't really visualize them, we don't see how that works for our lives, we don't see how that can make a difference for us. Well, that's where the imagination comes in, and that's what Catholic fiction can do, is it can help to evangelize people's imaginations so that they can understand what it feels and what it looks like to be a Christian and, you know, what different aspects of the faith really are like when they're lived out. I mean, fiction can do that in a way that almost nothing else can. Interesting. So you would say then, to to answer that question that I I brought up at the intro, the Catholic Mm -hmm. fiction would be fiction that does that, that it's not just... That that it's it's evangelizing me by by touching my imagination. Yes. And by... What I would say, by helping you to love Christ. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, like, catechism can help you to know Christ. You know, prayer can help you to know Christ. 
But often it's through the imagination that we come to love Christ, yeah. or we come to love our faith, you know. Um, I mean, that and through the lived experience of being with other people, you know, seeing other Christians, other faith in action. Right. Um, so, yeah, I would say in a broad sense, yes, Catholic fiction would be anything that helps to do that. And, of course, that would be very personalized and individualized. But what I yeah. do with Catholic fiction is specific. It's a little bit more specific because, you know, we're using Catholic fiction as a marketing term. Yeah. And that, of course, means something different. Yeah. Hmm. Um, would you, since I brought up Lord of the Rings, and I think that that's probably some, a book yeah. or, or at least the movies that most people would recognize, according to that definition, would you say that Lord of the Rings fits into that description? Partly. Yeah. I would say I would probably, if Lord of the Rings had just been published this past year, I would be carrying it. So because I only carry books that have like just right. recently come out, I don't carry the classics. Yeah, um, with few exceptions. But if Lord of the Rings had been had been published last year, I would be carrying it because J.R. Tolkien is a Catholic author. Yes, and part of our mission is to support Catholic authors that are producing amazing good fiction. Okay, but I'd also say the Catholic fiction as we define it at Chesterton Press is specifically fiction that Catholics would enjoy because it deals with Catholic characters, it has Catholic themes, it has ideas or characters that are of interest to Catholic people. Right. And, you know, usually that means that they're written by Catholic authors. Yeah, of so course. So the way I usually say is it's written by a Catholic author, and it's written for a Catholic audience, or at least it comes... It's something that Catholics would enjoy, whether or not it was specifically written to them or not. Right, so you're not talking about the Da Vinci Code. No, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's what fails. You know, I don't even know if Dan Brown himself is Catholic. I no, think he's yeah. just writing about Catholic. Yeah, absolutely, or something yeah. that's interesting. So how did you, how, how did Chesterton Press begin? Where did that, this whole idea, did you feel that there was a need for this kind of... Oh, my gosh. Well, as usual, as usual with God, you know, I sort of yeah. was, found myself backed into it. Uh, I started out doing one thing, and God led me to do something else. And uh -huh. Isn't that how our Savior uh, always works? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> expected, um, yeah. I basically started out by writing books based on fairy tales. What yes. I do is I take, a fi I take a fairy tale, I put it into a modern setting, and I retell the story with lots of excitement, adventure, danger, suspense, and romance, you know, because as we know, fairy tales can be romantic. Absolutely. And um, I was publishing them with another small publisher, and then that relationship came to an end. Um, basically, they decided not to do any more new fiction, and they encouraged me to self-publish. So eventually we decided to do that, and we took as our... When I decided to self-publish, I took as our name, company name, uh, Chesterton, which uh -huh. is the name of the great British writer G.K. Chesterton, yes. who was formerly very familiar to Catholics of a previous generation. Yes. But I discovered him with a, with a teenager. He helped When I was a teenager, I discovered his writings. He helped me to fall in love with the Church. And so I've always you know, sort of had an affection for him. So when I had to come up with a name for this company, I called it Chesterton Press. Right. Good. Well, as time went on, we basically started to publish other people's works as well. So we're no longer a small... We're no longer a self-publishing operation. We're a small publisher yeah. because I do publish other authors besides myself, as well as carrying other books that I think our readers would enjoy. Right. So if people are looking for, you know, I think mostly parents who might be looking for Catholic mm -hmm. content that, that's in story form for their children or for their teens or for themselves, yeah. what, what kind of books would you suggest that you would carry? Oh, my gosh. 
Well, that's what we specialize in, is we specialize in fiction for teens. We always say we specialize in the fun stuff. Yeah. So you're not necessarily going to find a book that's going to catechize your child. You're not going to find necessarily a life of the saint or and, you know, anything like that. But you will find things that are fun, uh-huh. you know, that kids, especially teens, enjoy reading. Okay. And so sometimes that means it's books that are a little edgy, books that look a little dark. But a lot of times that's reflective of what teens are reading normally, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, and so we try to compete with the best of what's out there for teens. And we've started to move into children's fiction as well. Um, so, so, yeah, we, yeah. Have several, uh, we have several series for different ages that I can recommend to yeah, your go ahead. listeners if they'd like. Yeah, yeah. For, so what do you have for little kids? Well, for little kids, we have a very fun series called The Sisters of the Last Straw. Uh-huh. Uh, it's about a group of nuns who are, um, we, it's about a group of nuns who all have bad habits that they're struggling to overcome. Okay. And um, they solve mysteries. They have a new order, and it's called, their bishop calls them the Sisters of the Last Straw. That's hilarious. And, yeah, they're a lot of fun. They're probably comparable to the Magic Treehouse books. Oh, I love those. My kids love those. Okay, good. Fun. Yeah, so we have that. We have a couple of picture books we just did, such as The Monk's Daily Bread and The Story of Job. Uh-huh. And they can all be found on our website, you know, yeah. on chestertonpress.com. Good. And so for teenagers, you said that that's your specialty. Yes, it's very difficult to find good yes. books for teenagers. Yes. You know, and, you know, they're the ones who really need evangelization in a lot of ways, especially in the imagination, because so much of what is out there for teens is very dark and deals with very either depressing or, you know, um, well, you know, just <laughs> faith, you know, not faithful content, you know, content yeah. that doesn't reflect the imagination of the church. Uh-huh. Um, so that's what we tend to spend a lot of our resources on. Well, we have my books, the fairy tale novels, which I've uh-huh. described. Yeah. And we also have two other series that I'd like to point your list. Yeah, tell towards. me, tell me, tell me. Well, one is the one that you mentioned is your favorite is the John Paul II High series. Yes. And that's written by a team of young Catholic authors, uh, mostly Catholic dads. And really? they basically tell the adventures of seven kids in a new Catholic high school and their attempts to uh, deal with the fact that there's been a school shooting at the local public high school and that one of the girls at the public high school has come to their school. She knows nothing about Catholicism, yeah. so a lot of it is her culture shock. But as the series progresses, it becomes apparent that the shooter, who is presumed to have been dead, is actually still out there and still targeting this girl. That's great. So this, yeah. the, the series has gotten very intense. We're up to book five, and we're working right now on book six. Oh, good. I'm looking forward to that one, because uh, oh, this is, yeah, I agree, highly recommended. I'm not a teenager, but if I think if you, you know, 12, 13, 14, 16-year-olds might love this, not just girls, but also boys. Um, and for adults, what would you have? Oh, gosh. Well, I'd also recommend the I Am Margaret series. Okay. This is a British series that we've dis- we discovered and we're distributing. And I actually just got the final book in the series today. It just came into my office this very day. Um, it is a dis- dark dystopian series. Uh-huh. It's sort of like a retelling of the story of Margaret of Clitheroe, the English martyr. Okay. But set in a future dystopia where teenagers are harvested for their organs if they are medically or mentally imperfect. Okay, wow. So they have this like this sort of grim thing where they basically teenagers who don't pass certain tests are turned over to the medical industry and harvested for their body parts. Huh. Um, and that is what happens to Margaret, you know, of the title. Right. Now, Margaret, um, she has a boyfriend who is very much in love with her, and so when she gets sorted into the, you know, when she basically fails her sorting, as it's called, her boyfriend vows to come and rescue her. 
Well, Margaret is shipped off to this facility, and, you know, she and all the other inmates are fed and exercised and treated fairly well, except that, you know, whenever their organs are needed, they're going to be put to sleep and, you know, carved up, basically. I should mention also that in this society, Catholicism is illegal. And so Margaret, unlike her boyfriend, is a Christian. And confirmation is a very important sacrament in this society because it means that, you know, basically the harshest punishments are reserved for those who are found promoting superstition, as they say. So when she's in this facility, Margaret becomes an advocate for the handicapped children who are there. So when her boyfriend shows up to rescue her, she says, I'm not going to go with you unless you can take all of us. Interesting. And the story only gets better from there. Interesting. All these sound like they would be great on film, um, which is a whole other conversation. Maybe somebody listening has a lot of money <laughs> and they would want to produce some, some good stories for film. So, so just to recap, so... Sisters of the Last Straw. I love that title. I'm gonna have to, <laughs> um, not going to wait for grandchildren. I'm going to go get them now. The uh, the fairy tale novels, which are yours, and I know mm-hmm. that that some of those or all of them exist as audio audio books as well or audio. F- oh, just the first one. We would love to do. One. We would love to do other audio dramas of them. We have yeah, the audio dramas. They're yet. excellent. And then the JP Two High series, which is also a lot of fun. And then you've totally piqued my interest with with I Am Margaret. I, I had seen it on your website, and I wasn't quite sure about that. So that's really, really, really good, Regina. It's so good to finally talk to you and to have you on the program. Thank you for what you're doing, and uh, keep keep it up because I agree with you that there's there's a great need for. Uh, our, evan- our imaginations to be evangelized. Amen. And thank you. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. And I, I hope your readers and listeners will check out ChestertonPress.com. I hope that they will, too. Okay, we're going to put all those links on our, on our site and all those titles as well so people can, uh, can uh, get inspired. Regina Doman, is a, she's a Catholic author, editor, and speaker, and she's with her husband, the owner of Chesterton Press. You can learn more and find out all these titles that she mentioned and more at chestertonpress.com. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Mikey Needleman, with Only You from his album, All For You.
help us to seek you, Lord, in all that we do. Trusting in you Sometimes we forget The promise you've made That all things are possible And your love doesn't That was the Mikey Needleman Band with Only You from their album, All For You. Now, if you were listening to the Salt and Light Hour about a year ago, you would have heard of Mikey Needleman. Mikey and his band have been at this for 10 or more years. And last year, we spoke about their last album, Your Ways. It's Mikey's third album. And now he's working on a new one. And to tell us all about it, I am joined by Mikey Needleman. Mikey, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. It's great to be here, Deacon. Thanks for having me. So, so the the last, so a year ago, last we spoke about your ways, which is was a liturgical. I don't know if I can call it a liturgical album, but I remember that these are perfect songs for to be used at mass, opening, closing. There's an Easter sequence. Um, how different is the new album? It's going to be very complementary to that idea. It's kind of a, a concept idea. You know, so often yeah. um, we write music and. We write music specifically for different parts of Mass, and then later on on the CD, there's a song that has nothing to do uh, with, you know, liturgy or anything like that. So I wanted to write um, two EPs that would have um, songs that each one is designed for uh, congregational use. And so this one, uh, called Your Ways, will have a Pentecost sequence, for example. Um, It will have a um, song for the uh, preparation of the gifts, um, and it'll have um, some other, you know, specifically um, liturgical uh, songs on it. Okay, so so your ways, which was the last album, had like an opening, uh, something for closing, mm-hmm. ascending, send send us forth kind of song. Um, and so this new one, what's it called? It's called "This We Ask of You." Okay. And, um, yeah, that sounds one liturgical. Of, one of the, <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say it's that, that sounds liturgical. This we ask of you. Yes. Um, well, and, and, you know, it, one thing that I did was we wrote a song um, that I wanted. There's so many great uh, saint litanies out there. And I wanted to write one that we have this beautiful tradition of the, of the communion of saints that we, that we teach in the Catholic Church, that our saints are all, you know, interceding our, on our behalf. And I had this idea that, you know, when we, when we pray to the saints, why not pray to like a group of saints that all have, you know, our patron saints of um, something that are complementary. Um, for example, um, uh, St. Gianna for um, parents who are 
wanting to get pregnant, yes. and also, you know, St. Joseph, who is a great father of the family. Like, what would happen if they got together and prayed together, uh-huh. you know, for the family, for strengthening uh, the family and all that kind of stuff? Um, or, you know, other other patron saints that um, could get together, St. Michael, right. um, you know, what would, what would it look like if St. Michael and, um, you know, St. Paul uh, or St. Gabriel were all praying together on our behalf? Like, what would that look like? Yeah. So um, we wrote a, uh, a um, St. Litany, it's called This We Ask of You, and it's basically about that, asking um, a couple saints um, and then asking for the specific intention and saying, um, this we ask of you to uh, pray for us and to strengthen us in this in this way. So um, we decided to name the whole record this, after that song. That, what a great idea! So, 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 just to go back to the litany, is it is it the is it a litany that could be used like f- during Easter or during an ordination or during any other sure liturgical sure. celebration where the litanies are traditionally sung? Yeah, yeah. You know, the, I think uh, the idea came to me um, actually for confirmation. I was uh, when yeah. I was a youth minister. We'd pick um, we'd pick a Saint Litany for confirmation that all of the uh, kids would kind of submit uh, their uh, saint that they used for confirmation. We would sing that as they would come down uh, the aisle for confirmation to kind of invite yeah. uh, their saints to to the mass. And so that's where it came for me. But it also would really work for all saints, all saints day, and um, you know other times throughout uh, the year that would be great for mass. That's great. That's great because we need some good litanies. <laughs> yeah, against some of the ones that are some out good there. Good ones but, out there. Yeah, but I, like I said, it just kind of came to me. Like let's. Let's 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 kind of think of this as a communion, more of a communion of saints. Yeah, of course. Now, had I spoken to you five years ago, I don't know if you would have described yourself as a liturgical composer, would you? Um, maybe not ten years ago. Um, okay, five years ago, I still was on that. I was working at church and I was writing music for the church. Yeah. Um, I think about ten years ago, um, I kind of had a conversion. Right. Um, of of you know, I was always Catholic. I was. Yeah. Uh, faithful guy, and then um, I went to NCYC when it was here in Kansas City, yeah. and um, just the excitement yeah. and the uh, vibrancy that these kids had for uh, the church, I was like, you know what, I want to write music that that just enlivens the church like that, gets people clapping and, and singing along and, and uh, really connected. So that's when I started specifically writing for Mass and for Catholic uh, events. Yeah, no, that's good, and there's such a need for for that, you know, I mean, the, the best place for, for music to be sung is, I think, for Catholics, is at Mass. So, I mean, yes. there's nothing more amazing than to, to, he, to go somewhere and hear a group singing, hey, I wrote that song and it's being used. Um, so so that's, that's a real blessing. Um, I, I know that you're also a speaker and you, 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 uh, you run camps and stuff. Tell me a little bit about what you're doing this summer. Summer is always busy. You know, we've got a lot of camps, a lot of conferences. Um, I was just down in uh, North Georgia at Camp Hidden Lake, which is a uh, life teen uh, yeah. camp that is for all of their middle schoolers. Um, I was down there for a week, uh, did music uh, down there, got to meet some great people. The cool thing about that camp is there's people from all over the country that yes. attend. Yes. So um, did that, and then um, you know we've got I've got a couple weeks of Catholic Heart Camp coming up, um, in which I'll also be the musician for that. Uh-huh. Um, there's a local camp up here that. We get asked to come and, and do like a big praise concert. We actually did it last night. Right. Big praise concert right in the middle of camp. Um, a lot of a lot of traveling um, to to do these type of things, which is uh, which is awesome because I think that's what we're called to do. You know, yeah. like we're not necessarily called to to you know keep put and stay in place. And on top of that, 
Deacon, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned in my ministry is, you know, like Jesus said, you're never a prophet in your hometown, and, and sometimes it, <laughs> yes. it, it takes us going elsewhere yes. to really be able to um, just share the good news, and, and people kind of listen to you because you're from the outside, yeah. and you're not an insider. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, that, that, that keeps us real busy, and, um, it, you know, come, come August, we'll be wondering where the summer went. I know. Well, that's good. Do you, Are you still doing, because you also used to do uh, secular events. And sure. Are you still yeah, are you we're doing it? a we're doing a lot of those still. Um, a lot of wedding receptions, especially yeah. here in the summer, nice. uh, which is great because we'll you know being a Catholic singer, I'll get asked to sing at the actual ceremony, and then I'll be uh, then I'll be asked to have the band play at the reception. That's so great. Um, yeah, it's great. It's kind of a nice little uh, ministry, complimentary ministry, and um, we also do you know just different uh, secular events, different restaurants, or even bars here and there, and um, you know that that's always. Uh, a really good conversation starter when people say, you know, what do you do for a living? And I say, I play music. And then yeah. it turns into, um, you know, where do you play at? And I say, I play at churches and I, I write music for the church. And then, you know, that, that, that door opens up in, in a way that, you know, many of those people wouldn't have that conversation if it wasn't for, you know, us being there. So it's, it's turned into a really uh, very fruitful ministry. Um, of, of playing those secular events. Yeah, it is. It's a great opportunity to, as you say, to to evangelize. Um, mm-hmm. So the new album, it's not ready. I know you're still recording, or I'm not sure you're done yes. recording, but you're in, in, still in production. So we're yes. expecting it uh, towards the end of the year or in the new year. When can I have you back on the show so we can listen to some tracks? Yeah, I would love to. Um, hopefully, man, I, I would love to say by January, February, we should have it in uh, in print. Um, with, with us having such a busy summer, um, my vocals to record vocals will not be ready until about September. Um, so yeah, it's a patience thing. Believe me, I wish it was done right now, (laughs) but, um, you kind of got to wait and, and, and all that kind of stuff takes time, but hopefully first of the year, 2017, we'll have, we'll have those, uh, everything mixed and mastered and ready to, ready for, uh to listen to them but yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure you're going to love it I think it's going to be really really good well we, we love what we, we, we have so far so I, I expect only that the, the bad thing is that now the expectations are really high but we expect great yeah. things Mike <laughs> um, and, and, and patience is sometimes a good thing that it means that you're busy with other projects and so yes. you know it's not like you're sitting around doing nothing um, thank you for taking a little bit of time I know you have a five month old at home so I thank him yeah. for being cooperative, cooperative as well with us <laughs> today um, and let's stay in touch and, and when you have some music that we can listen to for, from this we ask of you we'd love to to play some of that on our program that sounds great Deacon thank you so much God bless you can learn more about the Mikey Needleman Band at their website mnband.com here now is Mikey Needleman with the title track of his album All For You Your grace, we do this 
We're listening to the Mikey Needleman Band with All For You from the album of the same name, and that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that if you tuned in late, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And that's also where you can learn about all featured artists and guests. Yes, and that's also where you can find out all about our work at Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and learn how you can support our ministry. Especially this program, the Salt and Light Hour. Yes, absolutely, by becoming a monthly donor through our Guardians program. And remember that we can now receive donations from the United States, so go to saltandlighttv.org to learn more. So, to stay posted on what's happening on the show, look for me on Facebook or Twitter, Deacon Pedro, and that's also the best place to reach me. And you can reach me, Emily Callan, on Twitter at M-E-E-M-I Callan, C-A-L-L-A-N. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Yeah.